Hey, what's up, guys? Another episode of Eastman's Elevated here. So this week on the podcast, I have on Eastman's own Scott Reekers. So Scott has had a huge part over there at Eastman's and a, and a huge part of this podcast. Um, he's been my partner in this whole venture, and so we're just in constant communication talking about, you know, which guests are right, our, our content, and, and then when to release things, and just the overall direction of the podcast. So I thought it'd be really good to put the pressure on him and get him in front of the mic a little bit. Uh, so today our podcast is all about backcountry gear. Scott's the perfect guest for this. He's he's super knowledgeable when it comes to Western hunting, and in every fall he's going on these adventure hunts. But it's nice because our our opinions kind of differ on which gear to use, and and it's just different because of different needs. You know, a lot of a lot of my hunts are during bow season, which is that early time of year where Scott hunts with the bow. But a lot of his adventure hunts take place, you know, later during rifle season. You know, also. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a small guy. Gosh, I'm five, seven, 155 pounds. Scott's got to be just a hair under seven foot. The guy's a giant, you know, and he's in really good shape. He's just a big, tall guy. And, and then just our overall attitude on backcountry gear. And I'm just such a minimalist that, that sometimes my opinion isn't right for everybody because all, you know, I'll be uncomfortable to be light. I just love being light in the backcountry. And so Scott's a good mix where, you know, he likes to be comfortable and he likes to be light. And so just a really fun conversation back and forth about the gear we use and why we use it. Um, today's sponsor is Zamberlin Boots. So um, Zamberlin just makes a great set of boots. I've had a couple pairs of them that I really liked. Um, and then I have a new pair coming of these mid-heights that should show up today or tomorrow that I'm I'm really excited to put some miles on. And, and Zamberlin just does a great job of having their finger on the pulse of the market. And they're coming out with these uh, mountaineering boots, but they've got a lot of these mid-height, lightweight hiking boots, which I just love. And, and, and Ike... Eastman and then Brandon Mason of Eastman's, um, those guys have always used a full height boot until they found these new Zamberlins and they found the Zamberlin mid height lightweight boots and, and you couldn't wrestle those boots off those guys. They love them. They're wearing them for absolutely every hunt from early season to late season uh, and so they're just in love with these Zamberlins. So I know they're going to be getting a new pair of these mid heights as well. So um, give Zamberlin some love and, and thanks to those guys for supporting the podcast. Um, over at Eastman's, we've got the new Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal episode or uh, issue 101 coming out. So um, it's a great issue. I've got a bear article in there that I'm really proud of. I just love hunting spring black bears, you know, in these western states. So I wrote an article for that. And then we've got um, a great pack review in there. So it's a pack review for a three to five day pack. So it's not a day pack. It's not a longer expedition 10-day pack. It's that three to five-day range, you know, and it's it's about trying to get your weight down but still getting everything inside your pack and then also, you know, being able to pack out your game animal and that, but but to do it with a with a lightweight pack. So the guys at Eastman's did a great job on that write-up. Make, make sure to check it out. Uh, issue 101 of the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. And with that, let's get this thing rolling. Uh, Eastman's Elevated, Scott Reekers, here we go. Okay, I'm here with Scott Reekers at Eastman's. Um, Scott is kind of my partner in the podcast, but he's just a diehard high country mule deer guy like me. Um, so we wanted to get together and just talk over a lot of the gear we're using. We've, we've had a ton of questions and, and uh, 
uh, comments about what type of gear we like and our preferences on things. And, and we're both knowledgeable guys, but our opinions kind of differ on the way we use our gear in the backcountry. So, Scott, how are you? I'm good, Brian. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Um, so, yeah, I bet you're looking forward to this season, getting after some mule deer. Man, this winter's been rough, but I am looking forward to it. Last year, um, Brandon and I got to spend not as long as we had intended over in uh, in that GH area because we're blessed to be residents in Wyoming can hunt that every single year. But we got to spend a few days over there, and I found um, I found a buck that I've now got a personal battle going with because he's I'm pretty sure it's the same buck I found two years ago. So I'm hoping like. When I found him two years ago, I think he was coming into his prime. Mm -hmm. So he's in his prime last year. So I'm really hoping he'll still be there again, Mm -hmm. um, barring somebody else shooting him or winter kill. Um, But it's a really good area. If he's in the same spot, I have no idea how I'm going to kill him because it's in a spot where he is, he can literally see 360 degrees with just the turn of his head. And so I have to figure out how to outsmart him. Mm -hmm. And we'll see. I mean, I know Mike and, his book hunting high country mule deer he finally figured out how to take one he was, he was either four yeah i think he was either 14 or 15 when he killed this big mule deer buck i, I remember the story that, that it just took him years to do it but i'm hoping i can kind of do the same thing mm-hmm. yeah well in those um those areas g and h gosh they're such great spots for high country mule deer and us non-residents we have to wait now the waiting's even getting longer and longer but <laughs> i terrible. love those units but hunting um g one year I hunted it in 2008, and I chased a buck in there that I had scouted that was real close to 200 inches, but you could tell he wasn't that old. He was like a four-year-old, and I found that buck, and I ended up harvesting a really nice buck. He was my second-choice buck, this real big, deep fork buck, but um, I spotted that buck in 2008. I went back and hunted it in 2012, and I found the same buck scouting. And he was 220, 230, but he had all the same extras mm-hmm. and inlines. Definitely the same buck, but that oh, buck yeah. had to be eight or nine years old in 2012. So they die of old age in that place a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that some of that, some of that region, like people get deceived because they read the elevation marks. Mm-hmm. Like they don't, they don't realize that there is some of it that is like Brandon called it the sweaty hand factor. This year. <laughs> I gotta hear this. And, oh, so what happened was we had this um, this friend of Brandon's from when he worked with um, with a game and fish in North Dakota. Um, Pal is his name. Pal's a great guy, great guy to hunt with. Uh, you know, it's always an interesting experience when you bring somebody you've never hunted with before, especially on a backpack. Trip. Oh yeah. You know, I like to kind of break guys in easy <laughs> before, um, but no, Pat was a tough dude. He. Like he could have kept going. Like I was, I was impressed with Pat. And um, so Brandon, you know, he had he blew like eight or nine points because he'd just been saving, waiting for the right year. He mm-hmm. hadn't even been applying, just buying points. And so he he burned that to come hunt with us. And we found in this particular area where we were at, we found three good bucks. Um, they actually the first night we were in there, we found this. If he had if he had been a four by four on both sides, he'd have been a solid one eighty mm-hmm. like one eighty plus. Uh, his frame was a beautiful frame, and so then there's another buck that's just a real wide buck laid out real wide in the back, deep forks in the back, but up front he's just this little crab clawed looking guy, um, and you know like they didn't weren't going to shoot that buck. I might have been tempted because 
um, what had happened was we had found out about a rainstorm. So we started heading from our glassing point, and I was going to go after the big buck. And I, if he was where he was the day before, I blew him out and didn't even know it because he had figured out this whole country. and could, He could have seen me crossing the rock side, and I had no idea how close I was. <laughs> and so, but we all three had to cross one area to split and go different directions. And Brandon, like, just stops on this deer trail. And it's in the um, type of deer trail where you, know, you carve out your foothold, where you just you stop, carve a foothold, stop, carve a foothold, stop, carve a foothold. Steep, right? Yeah, just you're you're looking down and you're like, I'm not stopping if I go. <laughs> yeah. Lord, please protect me. All yes. right. And, and so Brandon, like, he pulled off his glove, looked at his hands like, my hands are sweaty. We're turning back. <laughs> and so we went up a little further and then kind of around and – so that's the sweaty hand test. If, mm-hmm. if your hands start getting sweaty and you're you're not comfortable with how steep it is, then you probably gotta you know, just stop, mm-hmm. just wave it out. And so that's the that's the sweaty hand test for Brandon in the high country. He's, you know, I'm sure you guys talked about this in, in your podcast. Badlands, he's got some steep spots. Badlands have steep spots because they slough off like crazy. Well, there's a lot of spots in G and H that slough off. Oh too. yeah, um, and they don't. They don't do it with regularity like that river type country does, but when it sloughs off, it gets real steep, and you get these little one inch rocks that are just a pain to navigate around. Mm-hmm. But that's part of the allure, though. It is, yeah. You're hunting them in that high country, gnarly stuff up there in the rocks and above tree line, and that is part of the allure is is hunting them in that extreme country. You hunt them where you'd hunt. Um, goats or sheep or in their high country mule deer and they're giants and they're living up there they're tough to kill but they are up there well this spot well, actually a spot that you and i were comparing notes on when we went to lunch today um i found sheep before i found mule deer <laughs> we get to the spot where we're planning to camp and we hear these rocks start sliding and i was with um, i was with dalton who's actually been a cameraman for both of us and look up and i'm like that's not deer up there. That's like 10 or 12. Dude, that is sheep up there. <laughs> That's a band of rams working that cliff. Yeah. And they had come down like this, this chute that had, that had a whole bunch of snow in it. And they'd come down to get their drink. And they were heading across this cliff band and went clear over to this other open area. And lo and behold, we start finding mule deer, like, right below where the sheep were at. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's probably why they called mule deer, like, high country mule deer, poor man sheep hunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's – and it's – and I may get you know, get a lot of flack for this, but I think I will. I can honestly say that I would probably rather kill a 220 inch mule deer mm-hmm. than than a sheep. Yep. I, I I you know I think they've got you know I I don't know yeah and I, I'm gonna say this wrong as well, but I just got a lot of respect for a big mule deer, and it's something that everybody can get a tag for. The tags aren't too tough to get. And everybody wants a giant mule deer, but not very many guys get it. They are really tough to kill. Where sheep, not very many guys get the tags, and then they harvest sheep. But I'm with you. There is something special about a big mule deer. And yeah, there's been a lot of times where I find the deer living above the goats or above the sheep. They live in the gnarliest country you wouldn't even think. And a lot of good backcountry hunting for mule deer happens in that gnarly, steep country. What is the sweaty palms country? That's where a lot of them live. And here's the crazy part about this. Like I can, I can think of like on one hand, um, the guys that, that I know of that are that effectively in, in this country here in Wyoming, 
kill big mule deer on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. And on a consistent basis, I mean every third or fourth year. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, there are some freaks of nature out there who manage to get it done just about every single year on a big mule deer um, in, in general areas in mm-hmm. Wyoming. Well, the reality is if you commit to killing big mule deer in those areas, you're going to go years without tags mm-hmm. or years without filling your tags. Absolutely. It's just, and, and it's hard to set that standard mm-hmm. um, because you want to you want to validate your ability as a hunter by punching your tag. Mm-hmm. And but a 165 type buck is not a 180 type buck. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard not to squeeze the trigger. Mm-hmm. And so I mean like I guess my personal standard is you know, I'd like to kill a 180 buck or bigger mm-hmm. or something that's really unique mm-hmm. that is really you know obviously an old aged buck. That's mm-hmm. just really a, a solid buck. I don't, the, the older I get, the more I realize that, okay, I can, I can live without killing something if, if I know that I hunted, you know, a particular set of basins really well and know that I, I turned up every buck there. That mm-hmm. means I outsmarted it. Mm-hmm. And that almost, to be a committed mule deer hunter, that almost has to be your mentality. And it's hard to do when, you know, I'm, I'm not the type of guy who travels to multiple states all the time. I've got Wyoming. You know, mm-hmm. That's just the way my schedule allows. I've got you know, a little girl, one more on the way, and it's it's tough to be, you know, don't get me wrong. I hunt more than the average guy. I shouldn't, mm-hmm. I shouldn't act like I don't hunt a lot because I hunt a lot. But, you, you poor guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I shouldn't act like I don't because no, my, my I, wife would be here to tell you he hunts a lot. She, or she'd argue against you. Huh? Yes. <laughs> no, but I'm with you, though. Yeah. We, we've got to pick and choose what we can do and what we can fit in our schedule. And Wyoming is, like, enough. If I, You know, if I could hunt Wyoming backcountry every year, I, I don't know how many states I'd be traveling to. I mean, I like to travel around and hunt, but you know, you've got a good area to hunt. Uh, you know, and you can spend your time in a good area with good box. Here's the, here's the crazy part. I drew a couple of good elk tags. And so I, the last, well, last year was the first year. I really got to spend some time mule deer hunting since I started working for Eastman's. And the craziest part about it was I drew these, these elk tags. And so being a mule deer nut, I go up scouting. Again, I was with Dalton. And we go scouting for elk. We find a 340 bull, but I found a 170 framed um, buck up there who had a dropper, mm-hmm. like this like eight inch dropper. And I was, I was freaking out about that. And I got a 340 inch bull that's screaming his head <laughs> off before the season opens. And I'm excited about the buck. And so I know, you know, some people are like diehard elk guys and I appreciate them because killing a big mature bull elk is a challenge. It is. Yeah. It's like, Especially when you get into like the general rifle seasons, or you get into the um, like later in the year, that they're tough, tough animals. Oh to hunt. yeah, it's, you know. And so I have a lot of respect for those guys who kill mature bull elk year in and year out. Um, but for me personally, what like what I decided to to do um, several years ago was I want to I want to be one of those guys that kills big mule deer. Mm-hmm. And so that's that for me in Wyoming that meant backcountry. Mm-hmm. Me and meant learning the backcountry, and then learning maps, and then learning how to retrain where a buck could bed down, and then learning how to um, how to be patient. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I've never been diagnosed, but I'm positive I have ADHD. Like, <laughs> my mother has told me, Scott, you're so lucky you didn't grow up in today's age because you'd have been drugged. <laughs> as, as much as you move around and do, you'd have been one of those kids that they um, they definitely would have recommended mm-hmm. for it. And so 
learning how to sit in glass and just be patient was was something that took a lot of work and a lot mm -hmm. of effort. Um, but it was a commitment that was worth making. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot that I learned from um, from those situations and from growing through that. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, well, uh, we better start talking about gear. This is going to be a mule deer podcast, which is fine. I'm, I'm okay with talking about mule deer all day long. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Well, yeah, so we've been getting a lot of questions about the gear we use and why we use it. And it's so important when we're hunting this high country. I mean, every ounce and every pound matters when you're traveling miles in that backcountry. So you want your stuff as light as you can get it. So, I mean, I guess let's just start off with like um, your backcountry boots. You know, what do you like for boots? Because you've got to have something that you can trust um, that isn't going to let you down. Blisters absolutely cripple you on a hunt. If you've got blisters on your feet or your feet aren't up to the challenge, it hurts every step. And so what do you like for shoes or boots or what's your, your common go-to? You know, I, when it comes to, um, when it comes to boots, fit is king. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and I know like a lot of guys here in the office have really started to gravitate towards the lightweight um, type, the lightweight type boots. And I, I really respect that, but I also know for me personally, and this is mm -hmm. personal, yep. um, it has, you know, I don't want to, there is no one, one size fits all for mm -hmm. everybody, hence why there are multiple boot brands out there um, that people are like rabidly attached to because mm -hmm. they found one that fits their foot. Mm -hmm. and that is, that is 90% of the battle, finding a boot model that fits your foot, mm -hmm. whether it be the lightweight type or whether it be the full leather. Now, I broke my left ankle when I was in high school, and so... I, it's just a, it's just a mental thing with me that I am much more comfortable when I'm crossing a rock slide when I've got a full leather boot. Okay. It's just, and that's, that's me. I know they're a little heavier, mm -hmm. but I, I will find a way to lighten up somewhere else in order to have those boots that are a little heavier because I know that I trust my ankle more in that. Mm -hmm. And that's just a, that's a personal, it's a personal thing when you trust the gear you have it you are a lot more comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I really respect the guys who have tested the tar out of their gear mm -hmm. and know what they trust and what they like. Um, but I put enough miles on where I wear a set of boots out almost every year, if not every other year. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a set of boots that I was actually given when I started working here. The soles are flat. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way that the way that it works. I yeah. wear I wear boots out. They're yeah. they're a tool, mm -hmm. uh, and those boots fit fantastic. And I think. It is king, but I know mm -hmm. you like the lightweight. Oh, yeah. So so this is great because we're going to be uh, so different on yeah. ends of the spectrum, and it's great to get both opinions. But, yeah, I'm super lightweight. Like I, I heard that adage, uh, uh, a pound on the foot is like 10 on your back. And so the lighter I could go with my boots, the more endurance my legs have. And I do so much trail running. And so when I'm trail running, I'm wearing tennis mm -hmm. shoes. And when I'm working construction on roofs and steep roofs, boots just don't grip to a steep roof. You know, you're you're kind of you're, you're not real agile and they're kind of clunky. And so I wear tennis shoes on the roof. And so I wear tennis shoes pretty much everything I do. So when I hunt the backcountry, I wear tennis shoes. 
I, I, I even go away from lightweight boots. I have no ankle support. But I, <laughs> isn't it crazy? Yes. But I trail run nonstop. I have really strong ankles. And I, I also like tennis shoes because I'm a bow hunter. Mm-hmm. And a bow hunter for sneaking up on animals. Now, a lot of times you're taking off your shoes, but wool socks don't stick to the rocks and that steep stuff. You'll slide right off the mountain and be to the bottom. And, and there's some other things you can use, but I end up stocking a lot in my shoes. Yeah. I can feel the ground that I'm stocking on. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, I mean, I, I like lightweight tennis shoes is what I love. And I sometimes I'll wear a lightweight boot. But the last couple of years, I mean, it's been all tennis shoes everywhere I go, every mountain spot, as steep and gnarly as I can get into. So we're on different ends of the spectrum. But it's like whatever works for you out there, whatever you find that fits you well and works for you, you know, that's mm-hmm. what works. So I wear a waterproof tennis shoe is what I like gotcha. to go in. I, and I... And I think part of that too is like the the time of year. Like I guess I committed to be a to be a mule deer hunter, mm-hmm. and in doing that, my season starts September fifteenth. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was really funny. Ike and I went on a on a backcountry hunt. He had his bow, and I had my rifle. We were going into a spot where um, two years before a friend of mine had killed a hundred ninety one inch buck, and we had also seen a lot of big elk in there. Like just, it was, it's a travel corridor. Mm -hmm. And so we said, okay, we're going to bring the bow and we're going to bring, we're going to bring the rifle. And so, um, Ike went in with, you know, a a lightweight, a a lightweight boot. And I went in with my, um, you know, my full leather and we were both comfortable. Mm -hmm. And part of it was it's, it is with boots, it's about what's making sure you're comfortable because nothing is worse than sitting in your tent uh, after a long day of hiking in. We're not even talking the hunting. We're mm-hmm. talking the hiking in where you are patching up your feet. Mm-hmm. Like, that is miserable. That's the worst. It's And and it makes you, like, I personally believe, other than not eating enough cow, like forcing yourself to eat enough calories in the backcountry, the number one thing that can um, really dampen you in the backcountry is your is your feet hurting. Mm-hmm. I, I I personally believe that. I you know Guy and I have talked about that. The feet hurting is you know something that really hampers you when you're when you're doing that. And it's one of those that's kind of a you know it's kind of a consensus that if your feet hurt, you're not going to do anything. No, nope. you you can't do anything. And if you get the wrong boots or they've got too long of a break-in period, like I've had boots before that give you heel bite. Mm-hmm. Heel bite is the worst every time going up the hill. And if you are having problems with your fit or with your boot, stop right then and there and relace those things, different pair of socks, like make those things fit right. Because if you feel a sore spot, by the time you get to camp or get to where you're going, you've blown yourself up. And for the next okay. week, it's going to hurt every yep. step you take. And then that actually brings up another point. How many pairs of socks do you bring? Yeah, I bring, I bring about, I try to make a pair last for two days. So if I'm going for eight days, I'll go four pairs of socks. Yep. And sometimes I'll stop in a creek and wash a couple pairs. Um, But I try to go minimum, maybe four to five pairs on an eight day. What about you? I will, everybody's going to think I'm like the grossest human on the face of the planet. I will do one pair of socks that I'm wearing uh-huh. and one hanging in the tent. Okay. Um, and that way they're getting dried out. I make sure I flip them inside out so mm-hmm. they dry from the inside out. 
Um, another thing that I do is at night I pull my sole liner out mm -hmm. because that dries it out. Like okay, uh, a lot of your moisture gets retained mm -hmm. inside your boots, especially when you've got from your sweat and stuff, yeah. right? From yeah, it's 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 amazing how much you sweat on your feet, and especially when me using the full leather liner. Well, mm -hmm. if you pull that out of there, your boots are going to be dry in the morning. And your sweat also doesn't freeze overnight either. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not one of those. I know some guys will actually sleep in their sleeping bags with their boots on. I, <laughs> I've never heard of that I, one. That's wild. I, it's it's crazy. I've read that on forums, places. I'm like, okay, I, I get why you would do that so your boots don't get cold. But on the same level, like, I got to take my boots off. I have to. There's no way yeah. I'm sleeping in my boots. Um, and so, like, but pulling those liners out will allow it to dry out that's a really good tip yeah i don't i don't practice that as much as i should if they're soaking wet or i got them yeah. wet during the day then i'll pull them out but that's a good tip just for every day to dry them out and, and it works really well like mm -hmm. it works really well for like i woke up and i don't remember what year it was but we were we were at about 10 8 and we had been rained on the entire way in and so over the top of my boot toes there was just this caked layer of ice and i hadn't pulled my liners out and so I'm sitting there with a tent stake inside the tent trying to chip off the ice <laughs> off the toe of my boot because it had frozen solid. It's just water that had been retained and, and come through. And so that was a that was a lesson, you know. It was one of those like, ouch, this hurts. You know, don't do stupid twice. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So, no, you gotta learn your lesson, yeah. don't you, when Mother Nature teaches you. Um, no, that's awesome. Well that's um, like you say, that's two different opinions about boots, which way to go, but that's a good tip to pull your soles out and dry them off. So um, so we got boots covered. Like, what kind of layers are you bringing in? And maybe, you know, we do kind of hunt different seasons because I am bow only, so mm -hmm. I'm most of the time, you know, early September, but then I'll hunt elk in late September and October, and, and then I hunt rotten mule deer in November. And so, you know, it, it kind of differs from season, but I pretty much got the same set of clothing that all pack in. What do you bring in for your clothing? You two pairs of socks, which is crazy. You can get by on two pairs. That's pretty yeah, good. And if I could make that work, I would. But I, it just takes me. I I don't know why I need more. I think I maybe soak them a little bit more, or I, maybe I've just got really sticky feet and I just can't <laughs> stand myself after a couple of days, or I feel like I'm going to get athlete's foot on them. That's something I'm always trying to watch out for, um, but that's really good. You can get by in two pairs of socks. That's a minimalist attitude. That's what I like. I think I think another, another piece of the equation is you do, like, you use the word adventure hunting a lot, and I really like that. Like, I like that word choice, um, but in a lot of the hunts that I know since, you know, you and I have been communicating since I started working here, um, you've talked a lot about 10 days, mm -hmm. like, or, or longer. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my hunts are, I will dedicate, um, I will pick one week during the mule deer season. That is, that is my week, like mm -hmm. seven days, you mm -hmm. know, and, and usually there will be one day during that hunt, even in the high country, like staying in the high country. I just, I won't hunt as hard because you mentally, you just need a break sometimes. Absolutely. And, so I think one of the differences is a lot of mine are shorter hunts. Okay. I would probably bring along more socks if <laughs> if I were doing as long as you do. But mm -hmm. but I get it though. You're you're coming from Montana, heading to you know, I know you've been to Nevada and we were just talking about Colorado, right? Yeah, about every Western state yeah. I've hunted in. Yep. And so that's one of those one of those things I think that that may be part of the difference in philosophy. You've got X number of days to get those done, and so you're traveling a lot further distances. Mm -hmm. Almost a, a difference in place as as to what dictates that. So I think that might be one piece. But back to clothing. Um, 
I I never leave home without rain gear. Uh, I only went cheap on rain gear once. <laughs> Do um, you bring rain pants in as well? Yes. Okay. Um, I bring the rain pants. Here's my justification for that. Um, they break wind. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the areas in, in particularly western Wyoming, um, you're you're sitting behind a rock hoping a rock is going to be enough of a windbreak. Mm-hmm. And so you're, if your legs, um, your legs are sticking out to the side mm-hmm. a lot. And so... It's really easy to pull on your rain pants, especially with a lot of this, this rain gear that's out now that um, that breathes so well, that does um, does just a quality job. You're not going to find yourself sitting there sweaty uh, or anything of that nature. It's going to um, break the wind and keep you warm. Mm-hmm. And so um, I will always have my rain gear. And in fact, I will I will forgo a soft shell layer mm-hmm. and I will bring um, just the rain gear along. Mm-hmm. to make that work because that's that functions the same way mm-hmm. and then um, i will bring an insulation layer for my top um, i'm i'm a big proponent of down i really mm-hmm. like down and with uh, a lot of the um, like silver lined down or treated down that's out there right now mm-hmm. it's really pretty fantastic then um then the next piece is i will have um i will top it's usually like about four layers um, so i'll have a base layer and then some type of I don't want to call it a a jacket, but something that's kind of over the top of the mm-hmm. base layer. Could oh, over top the base layer, like a like a fleece or a hooded sweatshirt or, or a yep. or a soft shell jacket or something like that. The the soft shell I I, I tend not to bring because they're a little heavier. Yep. And so like what I brought this year was um, was just a a, a poly jean hoodie. Okay. That functioned really great yep. for what I was um, for what I needed. Yep. And the best part about that is you can actually take your base layer off. Sometimes you get too warm and keep that, you know, like that hoodie stayed on. It was enough warmth while I was around camp, moving mm-hmm. around a bunch yep. you know, um, for a couple hours in the afternoon. Um, well, I should say afternoon is that that eleven thirty to about one thirty window where there's really no deer movement for you to be watching. Mm-hmm. Um, that that time and space is when I um, when I, I would take a layer or two off and get things dried out if need. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are my top layers. On bottom, I'll do a, um, I'll have obviously pants of mm-hmm. some type. But I like I like a, a pant that has a knee pad of mm-hmm. some type or a place to put that in, just because where where we do a lot of hunting, there's a lot of um, a lot of small rocks. Mm-hmm. That's really annoying when you kneel down oh. um, to you know not have something that you can put a knee pad in if you want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like the ones that have you know just some type of a water uh, water resistance on the butt mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the, the you know the wyoming range in particular is notorious for its two o'clock in the afternoon storm and you don't always pull on your full set of rain gear but you do sit down and if you happen to sit down in some wet grass there's nothing more annoying than realizing that you know your whole hind end is wet and it's yeah wet butt all day exactly <laughs> yeah it, and, and that's the hardest spot to dry. I mean, seriously, well, how are you going to dry it out? When it soaks through to your underwear, too, and then you're just soaked. Yeah, you're miserable, for sure. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. So I we're really similar in our in our layers. Um, I go. I do not bring a rain pant in, and I've considered it at times. But I go with like a quick drying pant, lightweight pant, 
it, it just dries really quick yeah. if I get it wet. And usually if it's a storm, I'm, I'm hunkering up, always have a rain jacket, would never leave home anywhere without my rain jacket, but I can kind of throw it over my pants, over my knees and kind of cover myself if I'm riding out a storm or something like that. And then the quick drying, if there's dew on the grass, you know, it's dry within a half an hour of being out there. Mm -hmm. So I wear the quick drying pants. I run um, one set of long johns on my bottoms, no matter what I'm doing. Yeah. And usually I like the new ones that zip off. Have you seen these where you don't got to pull your pants all the way off? You just pull them down your ankles and then they zip down the sides and then your long mm -hmm. johns are off. So it's sweet. You don't got to take off your shoes and take off all your stuff to pull your long johns off when you start sweating so you can wear it in the morning. And so I wear those two layers on the bottom. On the top, I usually bring in two shirts, and they're usually two smart wool T-shirts. Um, that's what I'll wear as my base. And then I bring something a little bit different that most guys don't bring is I bring a sun hoodie. That sun is so intense yeah. in that high country that you'll scorch your ears or your mm -hmm. face or the back of your hands. And so the sun hoodie is really lightweight, but it's got a hood that comes over that'll block you from the sun and you can wear it in the heat. And it'll also block the backs of your hands when you're glassing so you don't get burnt. And then I bring in one hoodie, um, you know, usually like a, some sort of synthetic hoodie that I wear everywhere around. And then one down coat, like you say, mm -hmm. I love the, the down coats. Um, and then my rain jacket, and that's pretty much my upper shell ball cap. I used to bring like an ear cap, but I just use my hoods nowadays, yeah. and I use a down with a hood so I can kind of hood mm -hmm. up. Um, I've had thoughts about using like a down pant for glassing that I could zip on or like you use your rain pants. Mm -hmm. You use those as a wind blocker and kind of a, a warmth to your legs. I wouldn't mind doing something like that. So I'm going to look into either a down pant or bringing in a rain pant in, but we run pretty close to the same system. I One thing, I this is weird. I haven't used it as much the last couple of years, but I did find a lot of value. Um, I've got... It's a bandana. It's mm -hmm. orange bandana that mm -hmm. I use because obviously Wyoming got that orange during a lot of the rifle seasons that I hunt. And so it, I can use it around my neck. Mm -hmm. and it is cotton. Like I'll, I'll be you know, honest on that. But on something like a bandana, cotton isn't going to kill you on a bandana. No. Um, but it also does function as like I can pull it up over my you know, over my mouth and over my over my nose if I'm sitting there. Um, I can put it over my ears, like around my ears if I needed to mm -hmm. for a little extra layer. Uh, it was just one of those little handy pieces that worked really well. Yes. Um, it's, I'll, I'll flat admit that I stole it from, you know, the, the cowboy world. Mm -hmm. You know, they, I always wondered why they wore those around their neck when they're riding. And it's pretty obvious. It's just a, a quick, practical place to mm -hmm. put something that I put over their mouth, put over. And for a backcountry hunter, it just functioned really well as a tool that, um, was added to the arsenal. Plus, it was also a piece of orange that I, you know, say I lost my hat. It was mm -hmm. always a second piece of orange that I had that really, it was ounces. Mm -hmm. So that was just a, I'll consider that part of my clothing, but mm -hmm. something that was, I'll admit it looks goofy when you wrap it around your head, you know, and mm -hmm. take pictures in it. Um, in fact, uh, another staff writer uh, may or may not have teased me about it quite a bit when I had it <laughs> over the top of one of my hats. Um, oh. But, you know, it's one of those that, Function always beats. Um, function always beats how you look. Yes, when, for sure. When, you, when you're in, when you're in the backcountry. Yep. No, I'm the same way. I I brought on a lot of hunts. Uh, the the neck gaiter, the really lightweight, mm -hmm. breathable neck gaiter. The same thing where you can pull over your face, pull over your ears, and, and cover your face from the sun, or you can 
um, you, know, you can use it for so many different things, you know. But yeah, I'll I'll run that as well. That is a good tool to have. So, what is the worst sunburn you've ever gotten in the backcountry? Oh my gosh, I sunburned the back of my hands one time in the thirteen thousand <laughs> feet of Colorado, okay. and, and my hands were so red and peeling and almost blistered. And it all happened in one day. That sun is so intense mm-hmm. up there, and you don't realize. Like I work outside all summer long. Yeah. But at 5,000 feet in elevation, you go to 13,000 feet, and pretty soon you've sunburnt your ears, the back of your hands, your nose. And so I've gotten my face, and I've gotten my ears a little bit, but never too awful. But the worst one I can remember is the back of my hand. What about you? Have you been sunburnt in the backcountry? All right, so funny story. We uh, Same year that my buddy killed the 190th buck, same hunt, we're sitting on, we're sitting on a ridge line, like feet literally hanging off a cliff while we're glassing with different different pockets pockets really far away because we didn't think the deer was close and it got so warm sitting there that we all sat there took off shirts and a bunch of different things like you know we're just we're sitting there you know we've got our feet drying out this is great mm-hmm. 65 degrees up here in the high country and you know all our stuff's gonna be dry no more sweat mm-hmm. well look down at my shoulders and i'm like mm, this isn't good <laughs> quick put on put the base layer back on you know but even then i ended up like this like the top of my forearm, mm-hmm. like because I've been sitting there glassing. Yeah. So into the sun, the top of my forearm had this big red splotch on it that hurt, and so I was like, "Wow, this is pretty ridiculous." So normally I've got my sleeves rolled up most of the time when you know when it gets warm in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to keep my base layer down all the way to my hands and gloves on because I had had a sunburn. You know, mm-hmm. it's the weirdest thing, but your clothing makes a difference. Isn't it? And you burn so quick in that high country. You don't think about it, but you could be out in an hour in it, and all of a sudden you're sunburned. Yep. Yep. No, you got to. And the higher you get, like in Colorado, in the 13,000 foot stuff, you burn so quick up there. You just get crispy. I burned pretty quick on, uh, it was in some of this region here, like close to Powell, where Mm -hmm. we were at, I think it was 11.5. Oh, that's high. Yeah, Yeah. that's up there. And so we were in that that vicinity, and I got burned pretty good Mm -hmm. there, too. But it wasn't. That one wasn't like so much my own fault or ignorance. That one was more or less uh, just a situation where we had to stay put because we knew where the travel routes were on the yep. bulls. And it was a we went in trying to kill my bull with a bow, and we just stopped because we had two days to rifle season. It was a literal rough fest, and so we were like, "Hey, we can kill a really big bull with a rifle in two days." So we're just gonna wait this out. Like, so we had we. I had the same bull I had at 80 yards for like 20 minutes. It was the same bull that I ended up killing with my rifle. It was pretty cool mm-hmm. um, how that, that played out. But it's sitting there all day. We, I got sunburned. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. How it works. It is just how it works sometimes. You're sitting out a buck or a bull, and you're just out in the wide open, and there's yep. nothing to hide behind. So that's where that sun hoodie just pays dividends. Yep. And so I use it on the river a bunch. I use it in construction work where I just – you know, anymore, I just try to keep the cancer off me, you know, that, you know, when you're out in the sun every single day, if you're getting exposed to it nonstop, like you're exposing yourself to a lot of bad things, you know, for the future. And I want to be able to hunt till I'm, you know, old and gray. So yeah, no, I cover up, but that sun hoodie, it does wonders for me. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I know we were kind of talking about this before. So how do you filter your water? Yeah. So, um, so we were talking about this, and yeah, um, so there's a bunch of different ways to go, and I've tried about everything out there. So the the iodine, um, it works. It uh, 
definitely gets rid of all the bugs. Um, you've got to wait a little bit when you put the iodine in it, so you've got to be patient with your water. Um, but, boy, it just tastes horrible. I hate the taste <laughs> of iodine water. Um, so I kind of got away from that. I used the pumps for years, and now some pumps are better than others. Now, I've used the pumps where I'm really pumping out of some bad places. Mm -hmm. the, the pumps, the, so the good part I found about the pumps is you can pull water out of small little streams yes. and small little places where you can't dip your bottle in. Mm -hmm. It'll pull the water out, but you have to be careful that it doesn't clog it. Yeah. It'll clog your filter if you're pulling sand through yes. it or pulling dirt or debris or pulling dirty water. Now, I did catch Jardia through using a pump. And I, I caught Jardia and didn't really know what I had for a while. So it took me a while to actually go see the doctor. But eventually, <laughs> I found out that I had Jardia. I wasn't dying. So I, um, dying. Well, I knew I had used the pump everywhere. Yeah. And I just didn't even think. I had never had any waterborne illnesses. Mm -hmm. and so. But yeah, I caught Jardia through a pump. So now I'm using the UV light system. Mm -hmm. And that system seems to be, it's really, really effective. Um, it, it just takes... I would say the downfall is is you got to find a place to get your bottle yeah. in and to fill your bottle, um, but it is like 99.8% effective of killing everything in the water. And um, the other downside is is when you're if you're doing a lot of water for you and a buddy, it takes a minute with a 32 ounce bottle of stirring it around before it's disinfected. Now you can drink it after a minute, then it's good to go. So that's kind of what I'm using now. It's light. But you're also, you're counting on batteries and you're counting on a mechanical device. Yep. So I too have iodine as a backup yep. to where I carry a handful of pills just in case if that yep. thing ever dies on me. Now, you like the pumps. I I got accustomed to um, several spots really where there just wasn't a lot of water. And so there was not a, there wasn't a lot of running water that you could um, filter from. Um, I... Yes, I, I love hunting mule deer, but I mean, I've killed a lot of elk. And in one particular spot where I've killed a lot of elk, there's this, this nasty pond. Like this nasty, nasty pond. And um, once the cattle have been moved out of this area, like, that should be your cue. That's <laughs> that nasty. is your cue. Yeah, yeah that's, that's nasty. nasty stuff. Um, I bought a filter that had you know, two parts. Like it was a two part filter. So you've got the. Um, it's a it's a, like a sand that filters as mm -hmm. well as your regular charcoal filter. Oh, so it's a two okay. part. Yep. Because of what you were talking about, like yep. I tried filtering that with, like, well, actually another Dalton story, um, where Dalton, you know, same guy that did done camera work for Brian, um, he he and I were filtering in the spot, and it, the water was so gross that it came through his filter and was still gray. <laughs> it was disgusting, and so like. We've got him pumping water into this 32-ounce Nalgene. And from that Nalgene, I'm filtering water into my bladder. Okay. So yeah. we have this two-part system. I was like, they make pumps that already do this. Mm -hmm. Why why reinvent the wheel? Mm -hmm. So I, I bought that filter, and I really trust that mm -hmm. um, because I – Use some... If you're pumping it out of that uh, that cattle trough that you're talking about, and you uh, haven't caught anything oh, yet, it's, you're it's, doing it's okay. It's not a trough; it's a cattle marsh. Oh no, <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> I, it, it's probably the sketchiest place that, that you can get water in this area. However, there's like it's a spot where you can kind of coyote out on elk mm -hmm. really well. And so we did that, um, and 
I used iodine for a long time, and I tried it one trip where just just going to use the iodine drops with the taste filter drops that you can get rid of. You're supposed to be able to get rid of the iodine taste. Still a little bit of it there. Mm -hmm. um, but the issue I ran into with that was I don't like chewing my water. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just don't like chewing the water. So yes, I like that bandana I've talked about. That's another way where you can get a lot of the crud out, where you can just put it over the top of your um, of your bottle. Mm -hmm. But I discovered that the pump for me in those areas that have just very little water, that's the easiest way to um, to get that. With a little bit of work, you can make a puddle bigger too. You can yes, a, I've done a that a bunch of times too. Yeah. yeah, and so that for me. And the area that I that I like to hunt and that I go to a lot, that's what's affected. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of other places out there where it's just just terrible, man. Where you know you, you need it to be as light as possible. Mm -hmm. I've not used the light. I, I've just this and the the reason for it was like the chewing the water thing. I'm just gotcha. You want cleaner water when you start yes. drinking it. Yeah. No, I don't blame you a bit. That's a good point. And I would go. I would use either or i just kind of went to this light and it's been working for me and so i've been using it but yeah you're right the pump does clean up the water but a lot of times through that pump it's still got the nasty taste through it yeah. if you're filtering nasty water oh, yeah. but uh it does clean it up quite a bit you're right about that <laughs> so that's my yeah that's my philosophy so i have another question for you because we've never like, yeah like you said you and i've never gotten to talk shop on some of this um so what do um what do you use for hauling a lot of water? Mm -hmm. So I use, um, I've got a hydration bladder that I use, mm -hmm. a 100 ounce hydration okay. bladder, and then I bring two 32 ounce Nalgene's okay. or bottles. Usually I run 164 ounces, unless it's a specific spot that I know of where I've got to bring, mm -hmm. you know, 100, and then I'll bring a 50 ounce water okay. bladder and then bring the bottles. But usually I can get away with about 164. So what do you use? I've got um, from... It was really funny how this worked out. I was running a three-liter bottle, and I was going through water like crazy. Like, I really liked this three-liter bottle. And three-liter would be yeah. like 100 ounces, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and so I go through water like crazy. Um, but, I mean, I'm six foot five, two foot five. Yeah, right. You know, it's one of those, like, big dude, eat, eat and drink a lot. Well, um, the next piece that I started looking at, I was like, okay, there's got to be bigger water, you know, water-carrying systems. And... I found a, and, and this is dependent on the hunt, but I found a six liter bottle mm -hmm. and I found a 10 liter bottle. Oh, wow. And so in spots where I know there's not going to be a lot of water, I'll bring that 10 liter bottle and I will wait till the absolute last point yep. um, to fill up that I know where there's water. Yes. Sometimes you're lucky and that's only 500 feet from your, from your camp and glassing spot, or sometimes it's two miles and, you know, 3,000 vertical feet. So Sounds familiar. Yeah. You just got to just deal with it. So I'll use that 10 liter for the longer trip. Mm -hmm. Does the 10 liter have like a handle on it or something it you can has, carry? Um, it's an MSR drone dairy bag is what it's called. Mm -hmm. and so that thing is, is tough as nails, like just the way that it's constructed. It's actually Cordura that's like got a lining in it that holds the water in. But there's like, it's almost like a shoestring that goes mm -hmm. around the edge. And so what I'll do is I'll take my optics on one side and, and weight my pack on that side. Then I'll put that heavy load of the water on the other. So it's like, so I'll have heavy on both sides mm -hmm. to balance out the pack weight. And then that 10 liters is there and I've got it for 10 liters will last me three and a half days mm -hmm. like by myself. Mm -hmm. Like if I've got buddies with me, the 10 liters is not even a, you know, 
not even a question because we can take turns carrying it. Um, and so that's just that's just my you know my personal philosophy. I know if you're camping close to water, and I just bring a few mountains, mm -hmm. you know, that's just a safe weight, but when you don't know what water is going to be there, mm -hmm. I, I'll bring the big thing. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, well, and I can get by on, on the, you know, like you say, you're a big guy. You need a lot of water. I'm a small guy. I don't need much. I'm like five, seven, one fifty, And I've told you guys before that I can go on 32 ounces a day and, and that's, you know, bare minimum, but I can make it on 50 ounces a day. So my 164 ounces, that's like three days worth yeah. of water for me. So carrying that same system. And just like you said, filling up at the last place, making water runs, but that's crazy. What a great tip for, for big guys or guys that need a lot of water, not even big guys. I mean, you're a fit guy, but like you say, you're six, five, you're a giant, you know? <laughs> um, but so 10 liters, that's, it's two pounds per liter. That's 20 pounds of water. Oh yeah. It's it's brutal when you um, when you when you choose to use it. But the best part is that if you know there's a mule deer, like a particular mule deer that you're hunting, mm -hmm. and you can take set up in his in his in his area, you don't need water again. Mm -hmm. And the other piece is you don't have to fill it up with all ten liters. Mm -hmm. You know you can stop you know a little ways before or you know or six liters or. Um, I've also got a six liter drum dairy bag, and that thing works pretty well most of the time for um, overnighters. That's the bladder that's in my that's in my pack. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a good tip. It'd be good to be able to haul that much water because, like you say, when you get ten liters back to the spot you're hunting, you're feeling pretty good about life. You know, yeah. you got enough water to survive, cook your dinner at night, drink as much as you want, which is really important in the high country too, is to drink enough and keep yourself yeah. hydrated so you can keep pushing yeah. hard. But yeah, that's a good tip for carrying water. Have you ever used the drops? Um, no, I haven't. Part A, Part B. I like them. Um, but there's a, a waiting time, just like the dye or yeah. the iodine. So if you're needing water right away, um, I mean, I've been known with the pump to start going straight up to my mouth and start pumping <laughs> if I've run out of water. Yeah. So that's happened on occasion. Yeah, for sure. Nothing worse than being thirsty, is there? Miserable. It is miserable. Yep. Uh, and dangerous, too. Yeah. Yep. I, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but there was one, and it was kind of a, a trip that surprised me. I was on horseback back where I. I must have sweat more while we were riding in than mm -hmm. I realized. And so it took me a long time to get caught up energy level wise because of, um, I, I was dehydrated. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it, but you can't just slam water back and instantly feel good. It no. takes your body a while to get there. And so the guy I was with, he was pretty gracious. And I was like, mm, take your time. You'll, you'll be all right. Let's sit here and just drink. And so I finally got a liter down, but it took me an hour sitting there just to get a liter down. I realized, okay, I was a little dehydrated, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, it's going to be dangerous. It can it be is. hairy real quick if you're not, if you're not, if you're not aware that you got into that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where I know my body real well from all my trail running. And I, you know, I go on 12 mile runs and I won't bring any water. Yeah. I'll just go and then I'll make it back to the track. So I really keep a good monitor of my body, but you're right. That is um, super important in the backcountry is making sure that you're hydrated mm -hmm. and, and also just to optimize your performance as well. You know, if you're living off bare minimum water, you just can't push as hard. You start running low on energy, and that isn't even being dehydrated where you start feeling as bad as you did in that scenario, you know. So, yeah, that is important. Um, so uh, so we've covered a couple things here. What about your shelter and sleeping system? So this is a big one, and there are all different types of seasons, but what's your favorite uh, sleeping system? Um, a while back, Guy and I, um, did a, a back and forth article where 
he argued for floored shelters and I argued for floorless. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was kind of fun. It was a little bit of banter back and forth. Like I wrote my piece, then he wrote his, and then I wrote mine. So back and forth, like replying back and forth to each other. So it was fun to hear the other philosophies. And, um, you know, for the record, neither of us are like for or against. We were just arguing the pros and, mm -hmm. you know, the pros and cons of the of both. Um, I typically um, use, especially when I want to be fast and mobile, I typically use a floorless shelter. Mm -hmm. And by the time that my season has come around, most of the bugs are dead. Um, there, you know, there could be a mouse, you know, but let's be honest here. Can a mouse chew through tent material? Yeah, it can. Mm -hmm. It usually will if you in there um, the majority of the places I hunt we have to hang our food for bears mm -hmm. anyway so that usually won't be a concern um, so I I like the floorless um, shelter but you have to be you have to be even more aware of where you're putting it mm -hmm. than um, when you do just a shelter that has a floor so mm -hmm. but that's my my mm -hmm. preference um, the lightweight ones that have come around recently uh, and they're ridiculous we're talking you know sub three sub two pounds on a lot of these ones mm -hmm. and you know it's just you know, crazy things that you never thought would, would come around but they're a lot of them are built around the center pole mm -hmm. and so with the center pole they they shed wind mm -hmm. so i mean it's just that's just my my mm -hmm. personal preference mm -hmm. and, well and you got to give something up to yep. get that lightweight and you got to give up some yep. comfort to get that lightweight but as long as you can deal with that it works out okay but yeah, I, I used the floorless shelters for a while. I've used the bivy sacks. I ended up, I go with like a, a bivy tent style, mm -hmm. and it's a single wall design, but it's a bathtub floor. You have to manage your condensation a little yeah. bit, a little bit tougher to set up. But like you say, they, they've come light years in the design. Mm -hmm. Now, this bivy tent I have weighs a pound and a half, and it and it stands uh, withstands a lot of weather. You can withstand a snowstorm, rainstorm, get in it. You know, I just like the floor for, like you say, the mice. I hunt this one spot in, in central Montana that the spiders are huge. They, they're tarantulas. <laughs> yeah. They're tarantula spiders that crawl around on the ground, and they come out at night. You can see their eyes with your headlamp, but they're honestly like as big as your hand. And they crawl around. Like, that freaked me out. I'm good. I'll just put a floor in there and I won't have to worry about this thing <laughs> crawling on me at night. Okay. Um, so, so I go with a floored shelter. Um, but I, I'm like you. We think a lot alike. We're both using, like, a minimalist-style shelter where you are giving up a little bit. The three-season tents, you can get into a good one of those for two, three pounds for a single man. Get a double wall design, which will withstand a little bit more, get rid of a little bit more condensation. But just for me, I'm always trying to cut every pound out. And so I like that minimalist, um, I call it bivy tent is yeah. what I call it. But I like those things. But we're along the same lines on those. And I, I like, once it gets past about October 5th, there was one year that, yeah, this is when I was first really getting into backpack hunting. And I, I was bound and determined to go kill one of the mule deer I had seen while I was on a on an elk bow hunt. And I got in there, and it dumped six inches of snow on me as I'm hiking in. And I yeah, I was so young and stupid on this trip. <laughs> we all are when uh, we're young. Yeah, you got to learn it was, the hard way. Yeah. Uh, and it, my dad asked me before I left, like, so you, you sure you're prepared for this? He had listened to the forecast and I'm like, Oh, yeah, I got my rain gear. I'm good. <laughs> and so I backpacked in, and it was only about three and a half miles that I backpacked in, but, you know, I'd seen some good deer in this area, and I thought, okay, it's open for rifle, and I'll still be in there. Was, and they were still in there. I just botched my shot opportunity. 
Um, but I got dumped on six inches of snow on the way in. And my tent was like, it was a double wall floored. Um, El Cheapo, like, <laughs> where I, like, I had the wherewithal to pitch it in a good spot. Uh-huh. And, and I was warm enough inside that thing. I, although I did have a down sleeping bag, so mm-hmm. it was uh, you know, kind of getting into sleep systems. I had my down sleeping bag, which worked really well. I really, um, I really appreciated that. But it was one of those situations where your shelter matters. You, know, mm-hmm. you don't realize how much your shelter matters. And mm-hmm. so that um, that double wall was nice in that later season. Yes. There was a lot of um, a lot of condensation from the snow. Yeah. Because it warmed up the next day and it got humid out and mm-hmm. the snow was there. Um, the deer were not, you know, because I'd blown them out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> but they um, – but I learned a lot that trip about my gear and my gear choices. I learned a lot about um, – Know, the value of like I did some better. I'd have brought gators along. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that's a big one. Yeah. I, you know, but I was like, okay, these things are worth their weight in gold. Mm-hmm. You know, and then um, you know, just some of those things that like with the shelter, I, I would highly recommend everybody try. Yes, try something, but try it on a trip where you're not banking on killing your trophy. Experience is the best teacher. Yeah. Yep, and like if I'm just going for a two day scout. Yep. I can get away with a bivy sack because I'm only up there for a couple days and I can just sleep wherever I end up. And, and then my bivy sack is less than a pound, but yeah, no, you're right. Experience is the best teacher and get out, try whatever you're going to use, set it up, live in it in some harsh condition conditions or real life conditions. And that'll be your teacher there of what you need to go to. And, and everybody's different. We're not saying our answer is right. And theirs is wrong. Everybody's just got this different line. They have to draw between comfort and between weight and what's worth it to them. And I hunt with a lot of guys that like, no, I'm not going with your cheap ass tent. I'm going with a real thing. You know, I'm going with a three season or a four season and I'm, I'm going to have a shelter. So when that gnarly weather comes in, I'm going to be fat and happy in my tent, you know? And, and so everybody's got their own way of looking at things and and none of it's wrong or right. You know, this is just our philosophy on it. And the like mental, Mm -hmm. like whatever makes you mentally stable while you're hunting in the backcountry is is huge. That's so huge. Um, you know whether that's your whether that's having a shelter that weighs a little bit more, but you look forward to spending your night in there, mm-hmm. um, or whether it's you know, spending that extra a couple hundred dollars on your on your boots um, to feel like okay, my feet are going to be in the best condition possible because when you feel like you can conquer the world because mm-hmm. you trust your gear, you will. Yeah, like, absolutely. That's just and I think that's why a lot of people spend so much money mm-hmm. on their gear. Included, yep. you know, that it, it may not, it may not make you um, like. No piece of gear is going to make you instantly find a mule deer. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it will make you more comfortable while you're looking, which can make you more effective. Yeah, well, and if if you get broken mentally, your hunt's over. Yep. If you give up when you inside your own mind, the hunt's over, and the mother nature is going to try to break mm-hmm. you up there. She's going to throw everything she's got yep. at you, you know? And so you've got to be able to survive up there with your clothing system and with your shelter and be able to trust it that you can yeah. keep yourself safe, you know, you can keep yourself comfortable so you can keep staying up there to hunt those deer, hunt those elk. So, no, you're totally right. It is, it's a big mental game. And, and, and you get more comfortable 
the more time you spend in the mountains, the more conditions you go through, the storms you ride out, you build confidence and you know you can ride those things out. You know how to take care of yourself. Yeah. If one of your gear pieces get wet, you know how to you know stick it inside your sleeping bag or underneath your mattress, in between your mattress mm-hmm. and your sleeping bag. You know how to dry things out and keep yourself safe up there. Yeah. So you're right. The mental game is such a big part of it. Um, and I think kind of what I was getting at is with the, the tent, you want to have a place where you're comfortable and come back to, no matter mm-hmm. what, what, yes, you may be able to do minimalist type things, but if you're not comfortable in there, mm-hmm. you're not going to be good. And so, like I said, I use, I use a down sleeping bag um, because I, I trust um, the warmth of down. Mm-hmm. And so my sleeping bag has a, has a lining on it that prevents it from getting wet. I know down can turn to mush mm-hmm. um, when it gets wet, so, but they're, down options are out there yep um, and you got to just keep that thing dry mm-hmm. that is yeah. that is your warmth that is your survival is make yep. sure that bag's dry so i always carry my bag in a dry bag yeah you know so it can't get wet inside my pack mm-hmm. it's always in a dry place and even if the tent gets a you know my tent stayed pretty dry or whatever but i'll even shove that in my dry proof bag during the day while yeah. i'm out yeah and uh just to make sure that i'm not getting that thing wet at all just to keep it safe but um what temperature do you go with your bag 20 20 that's a good temperature i've never i've never gotten cold in the particular bag i'm using right now Mm -hmm. Um, i know some guys get a little little cold sometimes at 20 yep Um, but again that's a if you're willing to haul in the extra weight out of 10 degree bag yep do it yep you know if, if, if getting cold at night is something that happens to you on a regular basis well, and there's ways you can cheat that too. And I, I've got a bunch of different bags that I use. So I've got, you know, a, a 30 degree that I'll use on my early season stuff. And then I tend to go to my 15 degree for most of my yeah. stuff, like during the seasons you're talking about. Once it gets to September 1st, if I'm way up in Colorado or something, I'm bringing my 15 degree. And it's, it's a super lightweight one down bag that I trust, that I know, that I like. Um, but then I can cheat my temperature by wearing clothes to yeah. bed. I can, I can shove my down jacket in the bottom to keep my feet warm. Cause my feet are the first thing that get cold. So I'll shove my down way in the bottom and kind of wrap my feet in it there. So I can cheat that temperature degree, but pretty much that temperature degree, you know, and it depends on the quality of the bag, but it's usually, that's not a comfort rating. Like 15 degrees is not is not where you're comfortable. If it gets 15 degrees, I'm getting cold in that bag. That that is usually like 10 degrees yeah. above. So like 25 degrees, yeah, I'm comfortable mm-hmm. in that bag. Anything less than that, I'm starting to go on the edge. And you can survive 15 degree, but you're not gonna be, you're not gonna be happy in there. You know yeah. where you need to wear clothes to bed and shove your down in your in your footbed and that. But yeah, we use about the same gear. And then I'll I'll use my 30 degree yeah. for really early season mm-hmm. stuff. Um, like Nevada opens August 10th, I'll run my yeah. 30 degree bag because it's 40 degrees when you're sleeping up in there. And I've got a, I've got a quilt that I use for like the early season, like in July and August. Oh, so wow. It's a pretty cool. Um, it's a, it's a thin synthetic quilt that it's like, I'll actually bring it along on late season elk hunts, mm-hmm. um, even when I've got my bag, because I'll bring that along for, um, sitting there glassing you can mm-hmm. sit under it oh that would be so it's, nice it's, it's really nice and as little as it weighs it's, mm-hmm. it's again it's one of those mental sanity mm-hmm. things that it makes you feel better about yourself and mm-hmm. your conditions um but i'll use that during the summer pretty regularly then um but your sleeping bag doesn't matter if you don't have a pad <laughs> that's so true uh, 
I mean, don't skimp on a pad. I'm a minimalist. There's no way I'm going anywhere without a pad. And I, I run a big pad. I'll pack more weight to run a comfortable pad. Because yep. I spend so many nights in the woods that if I'm not getting a good night's sleep, you know, I, I'm not hunting effectively and I don't feel right yep. that next day. And if I skimp on my pad or it's too thin, mm-hmm. I'll roll and my hips and my shoulders yep. will get sore in the night. I'll wake up 10 times during the night and I'm just not getting a good night's sleep. Yep. And so I... Right now, I'm running a, a pad that actually blows up um, on two different sides. So it mm-hmm. and it's about two inches thick, yep. and, and it's just it's got an R5 fa- uh, uh, insulating value yep. rating. I like to go with like an R4, R5 because it insulates you from that ground and keeps you warmer, keeps your bag warmer, the whole deal. But yeah, I love a good pad. I always run a good pad. That's I've had a a four season pad. And the three season. I've never gotten cold on the three season. On the four season, though, in some of the September hunts, like I actually started sweating. <laughs> so it's, it's too warm. So that was one change I did make. Like, because I thought, okay, I'm gonna get cold. You know, like this is just gonna be a hunt where you get cold. You see the forecast kind of thing. And and that four season or that four season was just a little too much mm-hmm. for a couple of those hunts. But the the three season was was about perfect for okay. a lot of those. Um, but that's just again, that's a what's your body type? Yeah. You know, like what do you you know, and you know, some of that you just have to go out and sleep in the backyard when it's cold. Mm-hmm. And and when yeah. I was in my twenties I could make do with a little yeah, you know, cool. I'd go as light as I can because I'm a minimalist and I'd sleep and I'd yeah. be fine. I hunted, but yeah, as the years go on, you know, I just comfort is so important to me when right. you're sleeping. <laughs> I believe uh, that word is called wisdom. <laughs> so some of the stuff that I did, like when I was, you know, in my twenties before I was married, I'm like, man, what were you thinking? Oh, I know. I'm surprised they made it through it. <laughs> like you show people the places that you went or where you, you know what your buddy saw, and you're like, you went over there. I did. <laughs> Actually, my tent's over there. You can see where I dug out the hole to make a flat spot. <laughs> so yeah, um, no, you got a lot of go for it in your twenties. That's for sure. But yeah, it just and it just takes experience too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it isn't. It isn't. You just have to make a few mistakes along the way. But yep. now there's so much good information out there that you can shorten that learning curve just by reading or listening to podcasts. Or there's just a lot of yeah. good information where you can learn those lessons where you don't got to learn them like me and you the hard way and oh, make yeah. a bunch of mistakes. You know, because those are tough lessons to learn and and sometimes they're dangerous lessons to learn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. There's well, and the the coolest part about the era that you and I kind of grew up in, we were reading Mike Eastman's articles yes. on things that he did and watching some of the videos that they, they put out where there were lessons you could learn from mm-hmm. all the things that they that they did and how they grew up hunting that high country. And so there was so much that I got just like, it's, it's crazy. I've told many people this. I was not a, I was not an effective hunter until I read Hunting High Country Mule Deer. Mm-hmm. And after I read that book, started killing animals mm-hmm. like, and it wasn't it wasn't just mule deer it taught me how to glass and so mm-hmm. i learned how to find out and i started killing animals that way and it's just something that um you know there's there are resources out there that can help you grow and help you um, help with the learning curve that never were there mm-hmm. before yep I, mean, I i grew up backpacking that was something that we did i remember church youth group trips where we went, went backpacking you know i was i was the youngest one on the trip and dad you know, like okay well, you bike until mm-hmm. you get tired and you know lo and behold he and i were usually the first ones there because we loved it so much mm-hmm. you know it's the stuff that 
you know, you really enjoy, it gets into your blood, but you didn't have those resources. You no. didn't realize that, you know, hauling that can of soup was not exactly the lightest way to go in. Right? You didn't know Mountain House uh-uh. existed. No, uh-uh. No, I was the same way. We hunted the Cascades, and we'd go with mm-hmm. my dad and his brother, my uncle, mm-hmm. you know, and we'd go backpack into these spots way back in the Cascades yeah. for blacktails and then for, for elk. But, um, yeah, we didn't know anything about backpack. It's just all a learn as you go and then moved to Montana in my 20s mm-hmm. and just really started going for it. Yep. But that early stuff is definitely what planted the seed, yeah. which made me a backpack hunter. I just loved it. Yep. But I, uh, we were definitely not intelligent oh, yeah. about it. I mean, there just there wasn't that much information back then. And like you say, Mike Eastman's book, and that was a good resource, yes. and the Eastman's Magazine. But even nowadays, there's so many in-depth articles mm-hmm. in the magazine, and the, the, the podcasts are so in-depth for finding information. And so you can just shorten that learning curve so much quicker than we did, you know? Um, you don't have to learn as many tough lessons. <laughs> yeah, and, and if in doubt, get on the forum. Yeah, the for sure. Has a ton of good information. Yeah, and a ton of good guys yes. too. Yes, seasoned uh, a lot of seasoned veterans who, and I, I, every time I get on, I learn something, mm-hmm. and that's that's a cool thing to know that there are um, there are hunters there who I can I can learn from. You know, you like so you reach this point where you think, oh man, my system's pretty dialed, and then you reach something where they're their effect and you're like okay this is this is cool mm-hmm. you know, this is really something that i uh, i can enjoy and learn from mm-hmm. so i i appreciate those guys and their again that word wisdom you know, yeah wisdom that um, they learned through experience and i thought about making gear changes and because mm-hmm. of them i either did or didn't okay yeah you know, which is really cool you know, it is really it's cool a respect factor you respect that you see what these guys are doing what they're mm-hmm. killing and there's a lot you can learn from them. Mm-hmm. Yep, and they have the they can tell you and back up what they're saying and yes. why it works and why it doesn't. Yep. And and when I can make sense of it in my own head, that's when I can make a decision. Exactly. If somebody just tells me to use something, you know, I, I I've got to I've got to research it on yep. my own. Or um, so exactly. so when it when people can give you a reason and back it up, then it seems to make sense to me, and then I'll make a change. So Absolutely. okay, so I got one last question, and then we okay. got to wrap this thing up, Scott. But um, so uh, backpacks, what are you using for <laughs> your pack? All right, so I have, I'll say, rather than pick a specific brand or anything like that, there are a couple things that I um, that I look for. Number one is a hip belt that fits. Mm-hmm. Um, and then number two is functional shoulder lift. Being a tall guy, I have to have that functional shoulder lift. I bet that's tough for you for that tall frame, is I bet you those packs are always short on you and they never lift the load off your shoulders. If the shorter the shorter the frame pack, yes. But um, luckily, there are a lot of 26 and 28 inch frames out there. Okay. And so those are the ones that I get functional shoulder lift out of. I actually was having a pack fitted one time and called in and told the guy my measurements and uh, <laughs> told him my torso measurements. He's like, Dude, you're all leg, aren't you? I'm like, eh, I'm the truth to that. Um, so <laughs> I, you know, the torso size, like making myself sound like Shrek, even though that's not true. <laughs> um, but it's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of torso that that um, I I can get functional shoulder lift out of, so mm-hmm. that's really important. And then um, for kind of like kind of a final piece is the ability to really make the shoulders um, your harness fit correctly. Mm-hmm. And so some you know with some um, designs you're not going to be able to those around much mm-hmm. and i steer clear of them yeah because that's just a you have to be able to adjust you know width and your and your height like in relation to that frame 
yeah, be able to adjust the frame on the pack. Your your fit of your pack is the most important feature yep. of your pack is to make sure that it fits you right. Yep. And you got to be able to adjust it. Yeah, it's got to have a good hip belt. And then, you know, nowadays with these packs, there's multiple brands that are coming out with this meat shelf where you can yep. carry the meat in between your pack bag and the frame. Mm-hmm. And I usually use like a soft frame mm-hmm. that's got a piece of you know, some sort of uh, rigid plastic yeah. or rigid something in it that gives a, gives it a true form or a, uh, a fit. But, um, yeah, I love the meat shelf where mm-hmm. you can separate the bag, put the meat in between the bag and the frame, and then cinch that bag yep. to that frame. That is such a great design. And then, yep. well, you know, then you can usually disconnect your bag from your frame, and then you can wash your bag. Yeah. There's nothing worse than sticking meat in your bag and then pretty soon you've got a meat smelling bag and every time it rains it smells like rotting death on your back you know <laughs> that's just the worst pretty soon you got to throw your bag out you yep. can't and i've soaked them in bathtubs yep. soapy water bleach I, you know you try everything but so that meat shelf that's pretty important to me i like that and i i like them light mm-hmm. i think that's where guys carry a lot of weight is in their pack and yep. you may be trying to cut a pound on your pad or a pound on this but on your pack, you can cut three or four pounds. Yep. I mean, now they build really good quality packs that are three and a half pounds, four pounds that you can pack, you know, anywhere from 3,000 to 5,000 yep. cubic inches. And so I really try to cut my weight on my pack. But it's, it's again, it's that line between comfort yep. and between function. And, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, in, in between being light. And so it, it's this everybody's got to find their own fit to where mm-hmm. – you know, it fits for them. And a lot of packs pack 30 to 50 pounds really well, but you yeah. stick more than that and they're uncomfortable. Well, I don't know about you, but if I stick a hundred pounds in my pack, I'm uncomfortable no matter what yeah. I'm wearing, you know? And so I'll go with those lighter weight packs, but it's got to be the right mix of it. I can't go too light or then it doesn't pack a load good enough. So it's that happy medium of around four pounds, meat shelf, yep. and, and then good adjustability on that pack. Yep, absolutely. That is I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I like the easy ability to clean. Yep. I had, <laughs> this one's funny. Um, I killed a yearling uh, calf out of cow calf tag. So I killed this yearling calf and I boned it out completely. So I was able to get it out in one trip. It was only a mm-hmm. mile and a half back yep. in my truck. So it wasn't too terrible, but that pack was heavy. Yeah. Right? But it got bloody. Like mm-hmm. there's just no two ways about it. That pack was bloody. And so I got all the meat out, got it, you know, got it hanging cooling and i bring this pack home and i what am i going to do with this how am i going to clean it and so i put it in the bathtub <laughs> and i use the the shower handle you know like it's detachable and has the you know has the hose so i sprayed off that thing i was spraying for about an hour to get all the blood out of that so it was a not a decision that i will repeat i'll go use the pressure washer at the car wash next time yeah that's amazing what comes out of those things too just yep. pine needles and blood and and then pretty oh. soon you're done with your pack and then you got to clean the dang yep. bathtub next <laughs> yep. you know it's just covered in stuff yeah. so no i'm with you i've, I've done that as so, well so easily cleaned is, is is a nice feature if they have anything that does that you know i know there are a few brands that have some different ways of dealing with that mm-hmm. yeah for sure well uh thanks a bunch scott thanks for your partnership on this yes. podcast i really appreciate it. you've been working really hard on this thing and helping it grow and so really fun to sit down with you and talk shop yeah. and you're super knowledgeable which is really fun to talk for different sure. gear and figure it out so thanks a bunch man thank you brian okay all right guys that's a wrap another episode 
So, uh, yeah, really fun conversation with Scott. Um, it's, it's fun to talk about the type of gear you use and, and then to explain why you use that gear. There's, there's all different types of gear that'll work. You know, it's, it's just comes down to preferences and your needs in the backcountry. So I just think it's really good when you can have an explanation behind what you use. So, so guys can get a real good feeling, you know, what you use and why. So, um, really fun to, to put Scott on the mic there and to get an episode recorded and definitely want to have them on again. Uh, I want to thank Zamberlin Boots for their sponsorship on the podcast. Um, again, those guys are making great boots, guys. Go check them out. Check out those new mid-height, lightweight hikers they got coming out. Um, yeah, and over at the Eastman's office, we've got that new Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal uh, issue 101 coming out. So make sure to check out that and the pack review in it. And and uh, gosh, with that, I mean, um, I'm just going to try to get in some bear hunting here. It's starting now. Uh, weekends and evenings I can be out chasing bears so I haven't had any sightings yet still just a touch early but I've got one spot that I really want to go hit but it's almost like a a two guy spot because it's it's all the way down all the way across this river and up the other side you just almost got to have somebody on that side that keeps an eye on the bears and kind of gives you hand signals so I'm waiting my buddy Dan he might be down this week or maybe I can get my buddy Coulter to go out there with me so excited to get after these bears and get some stocks under my belt and and uh, start getting that excitement and then I think I mentioned it but I I am going to go on that Hawaii hunting adventure so I'm just really psyched those those new buddies I met in Hawaii are just great uh, and one Sean and Robin and and uh, they've just been been so nice to invite me out there and be able to hunt some of the species they have so I'm going to get to hunt axis deer Um, I might get to hunt goats, which are like these Hawaiian ibex that have these curled horns on them, and then also pigs uh, with my bow and bring my family out there. So it's just going to be an an awesome trip, and I'm really looking forward to it. So those guys told me to to bring a lot of arrows, and um, you don't need to tell me twice. So I've been making sure, getting all my gear dialed in and getting ready for that trip. I'm going to do it uh, June 5th through... uh, june 14th or somewhere june 6th to june 14th i think are my dates so i'm just super excited it's just a new experience in a in a different place um and so this has always kind of been a bucket list of mine and after talking to dan and then and then just um dan bakar he's the one who go he goes to hawaii every year and hunts those he kind of got me hooked on it but just talking to sean and robin and such nice guys and and gave me the invite out there it's just an opportunity that i can't pass up so i uh, got my plane tickets bought and i get the family all ready to go and so i'm going to go out there and go hunt the the tropical rainforest or the tropical islands for these different species so just so jacked on that so um got some really cool things coming up and then just trying to draw some tags here and and get some good adventure hunts planned for the fall and uh running like crazy right now and just really enjoy running you know, nearly every evening going on a run and I just got permission below my house to run these ranch lands and these kind of canyons and coolies below my house, which is just an awesome place to go run. So um, I just ha- I have no excuse. I-, I should be out there every single day running, and I, I pretty much am. And then just shooting my bows uh, uh, quite a bit and getting those things all dialed in. Um, got them both both shooting pretty good, or at least both the ones I'm going to hunt with this year shooting really good. And, and uh, so just working on that, and boy, just enjoying life to the fullest. Um, getting my construction work done, you know, I've got a couple big projects I'm trying to finish up, so working away on that. But 
Uh, hope all you guys are doing well. All you guys are working hard towards your goals. Thanks again, as always, for all the support with Eastman's Elevated, the Facebook page, and, and the Instagram page, and and, and then uh, on iTunes, giving me reviews on there. I really appreciate it, guys. Um, so till then, I'll, I'll check in with you guys next week.